Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hey, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. Guess what? I have absolutely no idea what, but. You've been with ACHS for 10 years. Isn't it like nine years? This is the start of the 10th year. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Shush, shush, shush. We could celebrate all year. I accept celebrations in the form of cookies and cake. All right. You hear that, everybody? Every (laughs) month on the 1st, flood Sarah with cookies and cake to celebrate her 10th year with ACHS. We couldn't do it without her. Or cat pictures. Totally fine with that, too. What if there was a cat picture on the cake? Then I wouldn't want to eat the cake. You're being difficult now. We've grown so much over my time here, and I get to do so many fun things, like edit and record podcasts. It really, when you think about how much we have self-taught ourselves in that 10-year span, and you especially with the video production and the audio production and everything, it really is quite amazing. And the people that we've met along the way. The people in our neighborhood. Like this human on the podcast today. Jill Morrison. Where did you meet Jill? Um, you know, I I don't even remember. She's mm-hmm. she's that type of an infectious human that she just kind of seeps into your pores and all of a sudden you're having coffee with her at Avon and giggling and making too much noise in the corner and getting looks from people trying to read their books. Um yeah. You're like so seriously. I'll be back at the museum in an hour. Two and a half hours later. (laughs) Yeah, oops. (laughs) So she's just got so much energy and so many great ideas. And she sees the world in in a very unique way in the generations. And I think that's really what drew me to her is her marketing company is called Be Memorable Marketing. And she's working on some projects with generational marketing And so from our perspective at the museum, it was really easy to talk to someone who understands the different generations and what their outlook to life is. And we're experiencing a shift in generational collecting and what people want to see and what they don't want to see and how they want to see information and how they don't want to see information. And it's really similar. And so we're going to have to shift what we bring into the collection and how we display items um, and and so we just had a lot to talk about her and I. It was really fun to listen to you guys just chat and talk because history and museums, it expands to more people than just our four walls. It really does. Well, let's listen to the conversation. Onward. Hi, Jill. Hi. <laughs> Jill, you are seriously one of my new favorite people. And oh, I, I don't even pleasure. say that because you became a business member with us. Low-key plug. Total low-key plug. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the, the brilliant 
Jill Morrison from Be Memorable Marketing today on our podcast. And I am so excited because there's just a plethora of things. We've actually spent the last couple hours talking before this that we probably could have just recorded that. And I was thinking about it halfway through. I'm like, we probably could have just just (laughs) hit record and prayed for the best. (laughs) Wing it. Uh, So you've been in Anoka long enough to get your bearings and fall in love with Halloween. Yes, yes. Huge Halloween fan. I like the spooky. I like the unique. Love. That's probably the biggest thing that when people are like, do you like horror movies? No. I don't like scary movies. I don't like gory movies. I don't like any of that side of it. But I love that Halloween's all about like embracing your weird. And I love that. I love that everybody is just unapologetically themselves for one night. And it's my favorite. And then there's chocolate. Chocolate. So you're an implant to Anoka, though. Yes. Yeah, so we moved around a little bit growing up. Um, So Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. And we moved here because my dad was opening the JCPenney's store in Riverdale. And so we moved, um, bought a house in Ramsey. And so then I ended up at Anoka High School. Which was exactly the same as Eau Claire. Oh, my goodness. So here's the deal. Like, Eau Claire is obviously a little bit smaller But the middle school I went to in Eau Claire was three, four years old when I was there. So if you can imagine the most perfectly built school where that sixth grade corridor was a horseshoe, all the classrooms for sixth grade were in there, all the lockers for sixth grade were there. And then right above it was seventh grade. And then there was a horseshoe for eighth grade. And then we moved here. And because we lived in Ramsey, I went to Sandburg and that was a hundred years old and made no sense i don't think i honestly think i got lost going to lunch every single day for the first month because it was in the basement (laughs) the basement and the floors were wavy and they made no sense and then there were classrooms on the first floor and the second floor and in the basement and in the mezzanine and in a portable and i didn't even know what a portable was (sighs) i was so confused and i was so lost it was not my favorite it was a rough first impression of anoka (laughs) to say the least no scars, people. She has no scars no, at no. all. No, no. Everything is healed. We're good. <laughs> so you moved to the high school after you got over your experience at middle school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that yeah. was okay. Yeah, that was better. That that streamlined a little bit better because then I fell into um, skiing. I grew up skiing, so I loved the fact that Anoka had a ski team, and I got to immerse myself in that. I love that the high school is so big. Um, that was, it always used to crack me up because I went to college in Nebraska after. And so they would talk about, oh, well, I went to this huge high school. And I was like, did you now? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, in Omaha, it was real big. And I was like, like how big? Like, we graduated with like 300 people. And I was like, did you? <laughs> I graduated with 697. So <laughs> not even kind of the same. But it was such a cool opportunity because everything was, everything was bigger. There was so much opportunity there. And so I got like super involved in, um, skiing in DECA in, um, organizations within it, Spanish club, um, honor society, like everything all at once. And I think that it, I don't know, it made it the best of all worlds because you kind of got to find your own niche within it, even though it was a ginormous high school. So I, I became, I grew to love the tornadoes. Within the tornado. Within the tornado of chaos that is high school. Well, you said DECA was one of the reasons that you moved into loving marketing. Absolutely it was. Yeah, Mr. Orr's ads and sales class I took as a sophomore in high school and 
as we were talking about marketing and specifically like guerrilla marketing and event marketing and getting your brand out there in unique ways, um, utilizing different things beyond just standard uh, media outlets, it was fascinating to me and I immediately fell in love with it. And then I was a part of DECA my junior and senior year, which just doubled down on my love of marketing. And I knew at that moment, that's what I was gonna do. My mother didn't exactly believe that um, when I left for college, cause I graduated high school in 2008. So in the throes of the recession, there were no jobs. She's like, if you graduate with a marketing degree, you will not get a job. And I was like, fine. So she said, you're gonna need to double major in something else. So I picked economics because I always liked it. Um, I actually really liked it in high school. And so that also played into why I picked it and uh, graduated with my degrees in marketing and economics and then went on to open a marketing company. So uh, for the scorecard, mom, I won that one because <laughs> I, I did get the job in marketing that you said nobody would get. I created it. <laughs> so we made it. <laughs> Address all hate mail to us, please. <laughs> Sorry, mom. So you're involved in the community too with Toys for Joyce. Yep. Yeah. So Toys for Joy, for anybody who is not familiar, is essentially Toys for Tots, but for Anoka County. Um, but we kind of, we, we work at a higher level. So Toys for Tots does incredible work and they're on a national scale and they help hundreds of thousands of kids across the country. And it's incredible. But because they are so big and it is so um, corporate, for lack of a better word, then what they do is essentially you say, I've got a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 6-year-old, boy, girl, boy, and then they give you a toy for each. That toy could be a basketball, that toy could be a puzzle, that toy could be a Barbie, that toy could be a huge $50 gift. Like you do not know what you're getting, you're just going to get something that falls within that category. Whereas for us, the families get to come through and shop. And so mom gets to pick out if her 10 year old daughter likes dinosaurs instead of Barbies, then she gets dinosaurs. And if the, um, if the kid is non-binary and we have no idea what they're into, mom knows. Or if the straightener broke last week, mom knows that and mom knows that that's something that they're going to want. And so within that they get more gifts. I also believe that there's more dignity to the process because they come through, mom or dad comes through with a shopping cart and they are hand selecting the gifts that they're going to give. And I believe that that really instills a sense of dignity in the process and that it isn't just a handout, quote unquote. It's really facilitating a positive holiday experience. And then in addition to that, everybody gets a, uh, every household gets a huge meal um, from the Christmas committee. So it includes a turkey or a chicken, a bag of potatoes, some carrots, a whole bunch of noun perishables that all get loaded into their cart. They also get stocking stuffers for every kid. They get a puzzle or a game for every household, basketballs, additional Barbies, additional toys. Uh, so it really, it brings together a really beautiful experience, um, which is why I love it. It brings, um, you really feel the holidays, you feel Christmas as you're helping out and it's so festive and so fun. And it, um, I immediately fell in love with it. My, I volunteered for one day in 2015 and I joined the committee the next month. And it's fast forward how many years later, here I am. <laughs> well, it's a pretty small committee too. Yeah, there's only about 10 of us. So it's, it's small and mighty. So the 10 of us not only meet as a board to vote on 
bylaws and things like that. In addition to that, we are the majority of the volunteers for distribution week. In fact, during COVID, we were not allowed to have additional volunteers come in. And so there were, we enlisted the help of a few others um, and we couldn't exceed 20 people and they had to be the same 20 people for the entire week. So we facilitated Christmas for 900 families, about 4,000 kids with 20 people in a week. That's a lot per capita. Yeah, it was, it was, ah, yeah. So if humans listening to the podcast wanted to help, how could they get in touch with you guys? Yeah. So our, um, our website is toysforjoymn.com and there's a lot of information on there, opportunities to be able to give, um, money, um, or hear about upcoming events. Uh, I believe we'll be doing an event at Topgolf here coming up this spring. Um, I think it'll be mid April. Uh, so that's an opportunity to be able to engage and see what we have going on. But in coming into the fall, uh, applications open right around Halloween and they stay open until a couple days before Thanksgiving, spreading the awareness there, um, for families who may be in need, it's families who are struggling at that time of year. It does the application process has a couple more boxes that need to be checked and verifications that come into play but spreading the word in the fall about applying for us um, because we'd love to be able to help as many people as we can. And then if you're a business owner with a storefront in Anoka County, you can be a drop site for toys. And so we will drop off a a big uh, poster that you can have up in your office, um, up on the window, whatever. You have a box, collect the toys. We promote your business everywhere. So it's a great way to get the name of your business out with the address and encourage people to come by there, completely free to be a drop site, and it helps us collect more toys. So that'd be a huge help as well. One of the interesting intersections that you and I have talked about is the the amount of stuff that we collect here yep. as preserving people's memories through the years, but the amount of stuff out in the world and the you know the disconnect that's going on between the generations yep. about whether or not they want all the stuff anymore. Yeah. As a marketing person, though, you spent a lot of time putting together concepts of generational marketing, and you're working on a book, yes? Yes, I am. The book is based on the idea that uh, a lot of our decision-making, the foundation for how we make decisions our critical thinking, our abstract thinking, everything is developed um, during adolescence. So between the ages of 11 and 20. And so taking into account that things that are going on on a macro level around you impact those micro experiences, those things that are going to impact the way you make your decisions. And so from a flyover view, I'm looking at how world events, how cultural events, how large events have an impact on how we make our decisions. So this all started out of my class, uh, Marketing to Millennials, that talks about how millennials specifically make decisions. So to kind of put a frame of reference on that, if millennials, and there this varies as far as what age ranges people use, but let's say millennials are 1980 to 2000, I was born in 1990, so smack dab in the middle. At age 11, I turned 11 in September of 2001. I turned 11 exactly one week after 9-11. So if you think of 
what the world was like during that time, the uncertainty, um, the, I mean, for lack of a better word, it, it was chaotic. It was very unsettling um, and scary. And then you fast forward to graduating from high school in 2008, as I said earlier, in the throes of a recession. So watching um, friends, family members, friends, parents, like people either losing their home or almost losing their home. And then there's this wonder why millennials are slow to buy homes. Well, it's because we don't see it as a guaranteed appreciating asset. Mm -hmm. And there's also this uncertainty around like, well, why are they changing jobs? Because we watched a job just be ripped out from under people. I watched my dad be fired two weeks before laid off is the appropriate term, I'm sure, because he didn't do anything wrong. But they laid him off two weeks before his 30-year anniversary. So it would have been two weeks before they would have had to pay him full retirement. At that point, when you've given 29 years to a company and you've lived in four different states, at that point, like if they're willing to cut you off there, then why do you have a loyalty to a company? Um, and so if you think of that's just the millennials portion, and then you spread that out and you look at what was going on during the pivotal years in each of these generations, and how does that impact the way that they make their decisions and how they buy and what they want and what they keep? Um, so to bring that home into what you and I had discussed, I think that there's this idea coming out of the silent generation. They were either born during or immediately following the Great Depression. How they accumulated a generational wealth at a time where there really wasn't, right? And you and I had talked about how they would pass along their uh, china, their totes, their um, big chests from when they would move, um, clothing, whatever it might be. And there was this this pride and this ability to pass that along because that was so important and being able to have things that were durable and lasted allowed them to do that. Everything was made well, everything was made to work. And then you fast forward to now when Ikea is a phenomenal organization, I'm not gonna disparage them in the slightest, but their furniture is designed to be more of a consumable instead of a steadfast product. And so if you have the, the brand spanking new trendy looking appliance that's presumably going to die in five or 10 years when the next newest, greatest model comes out. Yes. In my mind, this is a marketing scheme. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I need to ask, as a marketing person, where are your ethics? <laughs> that would be why I developed my product offerings the way I did because my goal is to help people spend less money on marketing and to do it more cost effectively. <laughs> but in addition to that, um, I think that there, I think that Gen Z is pushing an initiative in a really strong way that is going to force companies to be more sustainable in their product offerings and sustainable in a way that not just like, well, this is going to die. And when it does, it's recyclable. That only gets us so far. They're gonna. I think that they're gonna push for products that last. Have we gotten to the point where the personal desire for 
what I particularly like. You know, I like flowers. I like squares. I like geometry. I like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the design of a thing yep. is, is put above the the ability to keep it around for a while, the, the actual durability of the item. I struggle with the idea about, let's say, hypothetically, that somebody inherits China and they put it in the dishwasher. You don't put dishes, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't put China in there because it will, it'll ruin the finish, right? right. It upsets my stomach to say out loud like that they would be taking away from how it was originally created and how beautiful it was done. And realistically, the reason why it was so expensive Mm -hmm. was the meticulous intricacies of it. But if it makes it so it stays in the family another generation, is that a bad thing? I don't, I don't know. Are you, it feels like you're speaking to a changing value set, you know, of preservation for the sake of preserving the heirloom Mm -hmm. as it was or preserving the concept of what the heirloom represents yeah, and the connection to the emotional side of the family. On one of the, the I don't even know, the fourth China set that I would have inherited, I, I was offered her entire dishware, um, all, all of it, and I simply didn't have room for it. And so I chose to take one plate to utilize either on a wall decoration or in just the one piece to be able to, as you were saying, to preserve the memory, the idea of it without preserving the entire set. (laughs) Well, I worry about it here in the museum because I hear a lot of the older folks that are downsizing, you know, bringing us things that they need a home for because their families don't want the thing anymore whatever it is it doesn't fit their decor they don't like it they've got too much stuff they don't need any more stuff and so the the older generation now is looking at it that everything they worked for is ending up at goodwill and what was it all about anyway yeah and and it's a real downer feeling for them and it's interesting to watch the you know, say my daughter's almost 22, you know, that she plans to live a life that as long as she can stick it in the back of a U-Haul and go somewhere, yeah, she's happy. So she's not going to be much of a consumer. Right. So at what point, like the, the privilege of being a consumer and the privilege of the American capitalist society mm-hmm. producing all of these things for us to buy yep. kind of falls apart if no one buys into the concept anymore absolutely and I would say that that has been that's been a big shift in the last I mean I was saying it for millennials uh seven years ago and I would say that post-covid it truly applies to everybody in that we are buying far fewer things and far more experiences and even when we are purchasing our things we want an experience associated with it. It's why those speakeasy bars have become so popular because there's an additional experience that comes with the beverage Mm -hmm. and warrants spending three times as much as if you were to purchase it anywhere else. (laughs) But it's the experience that comes with it. And I think that that's where, when you had mentioned that older generations, when they're talking about 
how they had accumulated these things that were representative of their success and where they had been and what they had done. I just don't feel like that resonates as true with upcoming generations. Or, I mean, honestly, I would say anybody most of the time now who doesn't have an accumulation of things yet, it isn't as much a priority as an accumulation of photos from travel and memories from going to experience things and going to do things. And as I said, especially post-COVID, I think that there's been this large push for um, experiences and getting out and getting to see things and getting to do things because we weren't allowed to for so long. And that's going to trump a lot of it. And how do you translate that then with the older generations that, like you said, they want to be able to pass along these beautiful items that they purchased to be able to showcase all that they've done and all that they've been when that just doesn't ring as true as a as in anything. I mean, I've talked to more people in the last few years that have been doing um, large trips as a family instead of Christmas gifts. I think that that is becoming a bigger and bigger trend because we don't need as much stuff. And maybe that is because we're getting it from other generations or as you had said as well, just the privilege of being able to go out and buy whatever whenever if we need to you can go to ikea and get about anything for pretty cheap Mm -hmm. if you really need something and figuring out how to how to translate that gap because i don't think it's disrespectful i don't think that's the intention of anybody it's just the priority isn't there the stuff isn't there how do you preserve the memory of the stuff how do you document everything so that it isn't lost but is still accessible, which I mean, to be fair, is, is a lot of what you guys do is offer that service of being able to document the items for future reference without needing to have them in your home. I do like those big chests though. I want like a big chest of blankets. Grandma, if you're listening, I would like the chest in your guest bedroom when you guys don't want it. <laughs> Can keep the moths, but she'd like the yep, chest. Yep. I would just like the chest, please. Thanks. <laughs> Well, I can't wait until the book comes out. You got, yeah. what, about another year maybe? Yeah. So I am just launching the research now. Um, so I will send the link um, to you. So when this goes uh, live, then we can have um, the link there. So I'm asking for assistance um, on a survey. So it should only take five to ten minutes to fill out. It's just a Google form. It's pretty simple. Um, but it's really, my goal is to understand communication style differences, preference differences and um, what generations think of others. So to prep you before you start doing the survey, one of the questions asks um, like, what is the most valid stereotype about blank generation? So about the silent generation, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. What about, what stereotype have you heard about them that rings the most true? And I'm interested to hear what generations have to say about like what their impression is of other generations. Um, And then also about communication styles. So my goal is to have 200 respondents from each generation. So we're looking at about 1200 responses required. So if any listeners have a free five minutes, I would greatly appreciate it. That was brilliant. We'll put the link in the show notes 
And we'll get that on the website as well. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you got some time, go out and fill out the survey, send it to some friends, and help Jill make this book, which sounds brilliant. I could sit and talk to you for quite a while about generational things and collecting and memories. It's so interesting, and especially seeing the way that you guys run everything here and how advantageous that is for documenting and preserving the memories. Like, I my mind is just spinning on all the different ways that this can be utilized <laughs> to help kind of bridge that gap where the memories aren't lost, and yet the items don't have to be stowed away in some storage room somewhere yeah. in the basement of their house. Well, and on a slightly selfish level, I don't mind the digital age because it means we have far less shelves and boxes to handle. Facts. So I'm I'm fairly okay with this digital photo era. <laughs> so bring them over, folks. Just thumb drive those guys over here. We'd love to have it. <laughs> Jill, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, my name is Diana Nurberg, and I am a librarian from Anoka County Library, here to offer some resources related to this episode's topics. Let's get started. First we have Snoop, What Your Stuff Says About You by Sam Gosling. Written by a psychologist, the premise of this book is that your stuff, what you own and how you present what you own, can tell a lot about your personality. What you have on your desk and how it's arranged can indicate whether or not you are a diligent employee, for example. Next, we have Make Space for Happiness, How to Stop Attracting Clutter and Start Magnetizing the Life You Want by Tracy McCubbin. Author Tracy McCubbin, with 15 years of experience running a decluttering organizing company, takes a new approach to decluttering. Rather than focusing on the reactive decluttering, she suggests examining how we got all that excess stuff in the first place. She suggests there are seven types of clutter accumulation mind blocks that we get into, and she offers ways in which to deal with each. Next, we have Storynomics, Story-Driven Marketing in the Post-Advertising World by Robert McKee. In this book, a digital marketing expert and CEO teams up with a writing expert to demonstrate how the power of story can deliver better marketing results than traditional advertising techniques. Many case studies are included throughout the book to illustrate just how effective the storifying strategy can be. Finally, we have the new rules of marketing and PR, how to use content marketing, podcasting, social media, AI, live video, and newsjacking to reach buyers directly by David Neiman Scott. For those interested in how marketing works in today's industry, check out this guide. Through case studies and other real-world examples, readers can get ideas about techniques to make their business stand out and reach their desired audience. We hope you've enjoyed this Library Minute. Happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. Did you survive that whirlwind of conversation, Sarah? (laughs) I did. It was really hard to figure out where to cut some of the conversations, though, because they all led into each other or uh, the story built on itself and trying to cut it off was difficult or I I wanted to capture all of her story about um, working with Toys for Joy and if I did that it would only be about that for the episode so I had some tough editing choices on this one.
Well, it's a good thing you are a professional after 10 years of working at ACHS. You're not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's my job to recognize my employees. <laughs> Aww. But don't worry about missing any of the Toys for Joy conversation because we're going to have a bonus episode a little bit closer to fall um, that will just, you'll be able to listen to all of it. Yeah, we are definitely going to help promote the organization. Uh, one of the things that I think we really need to do as nonprofits is bolster each other up and make each other accessible in the community by working together rather than against each other. Um, so there's a, a group of nonprofits out there with the, the Metro North Chamber of Commerce that are really working to do that. So I'd like to honor that. And it's such a good cause. I love it. That's a lot of children that they help. And with so few volunteers. Right. So kudos to them. Will the the link will be in the show notes for her survey that she'd like everyone to take if possible. As well as links to Toys for Joy and Be Memorable in case you are interested in learning more about both of those. Anything else, Sarah? Uh, not at the moment. Uh but I always reserve the right to add something in later. You know, that is part of the fun about listening to the final version of the podcast is all of a sudden Sarah's recorded something and dropped it in there. Sneaky, sneaky Sarah. <laughs> have a great week, everyone. Laters. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.